to the Auburn Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson right here. Painter Sharpless over there. Hello, Painter. Howdy, howdy. So, Painter, we were talking just before we hit record. We're, we're, we're recording this on a Sunday morning. Auburn uh, football starts spring practice tomorrow. Basketball season uh, is over, but the offseason just getting cranked up for, uh, for Bruce Pearl's team. We'll talk about some things going on there uh, later on. Um, Selection Sunday hasn't happened yet, you know, so there, there's not a there's not a ton of topics right now that we can hit on that are like immediately immediately pressing. Um, but we're about to we're about to you know really get a fire hose of them uh, once spring practice starts. Um, so uh, we were saying right before we came on, uh, this might be uh, one of our more interesting episodes we've ever done uh, because uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna jump jump right in not not really have a a coordinated attack plan here yes i am curious to know what exactly has happened here over the last few days because we don't have spring ball yet and then of course you just mentioned basketball season is over i'll be cheering on the lsu tigers Uh, maybe by the time you're listening to this we already know the outcome of that lsu alabama championship game but yeah i think uh this is just an interesting time of the year for us. It's one of the few times over the last few months where we really haven't had a ton to chew on, and we don't want to mm-hmm. beat you guys over the head with the basketball stuff because we've got a long time until that season starts up, and there's lots of things that will happen here. But again, it'll be a few weeks, so that's my rambling way of agreeing with you. Yeah, it's it's the other thing, too, is that spring spring practice is about to get underway, and I feel like we've, we've hit about every angle you can to preview this bad boy. We just need to, like let it you know get going here uh and the good news is um on monday that is going to happen Auburn will return to uh the football practice field for the first time under brian harson um on monday uh, he will have an introductory press conference at 11 30 central time on monday so look for uh, some coverage of, uh, of that uh, to come out on the on the observer um for those of you who are subscribers and those who aren't subscribers, um, you know, this will be a good time to kind of get get on board uh, tomorrow morning, uh, right before everything kind of gets going. And, and you know what? I might I might actually kind of unlock it later in the day. I, I'll I'll send it I'll send an email out, you know, hopefully sometime Monday morning. Um, but uh, a couple weeks ago, I did the uh, the spring practice uh, depth chart previews. On offense and defense, those are subscriber only. Uh, on Monday, trying to open up the door to get get people ready for for spring practice, we're going to uh, unlock those. So if you would like to check those out before Auburn gets going in, in spring practice, you can do that, and you'll have uh, you'll have some links there uh, to get on board and subscribe for either six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year if you would like to do so. Um, and remember, when you get um, when when you get on board as a member of Painter's Inner Circle and join uh, the Auburn Observer as a subscriber, you do get uh, a a bonus podcast episode each week that we do uh, during the midweek. So um, we will uh, we'll have that kind of going. And you know what? By the time you know this is put out, I'll probably have already unlocked it. Um, but I'm gonna send out an email for those of you who uh, who get the who get the podcast emails uh, that you can check that out and uh, be a good way to get on board. But, uh, you know, looking through the first couple of weeks of what spring practice looks like for Auburn, um, 
you know, we're going to be able to talk to players a couple times in the first week. Pro Day is on Thursday, um, which will be interesting to see kind of what that looks like. We're not going to be there to watch it as, as members of the media, but we're going to be able to, you know, um, we're going to be able to talk to players afterwards and kind of kind of get get some glimpses of what's going on there. Speaking uh, second, of that, Ferg, what, mm-hmm. what is different from recent years where you've covered the team under Gus and then the word you seem to throw around that I saw was flexibility. With with the way Harson and his staff have structured spring ball, they seem to have. I think the word yeah. you used was flexibility. So it looks like Harson and and Auburn are going with a four days a week approach in spring ball instead of three. Uh, usually, you got three under miles on. It was usually like a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday kind of thing. Uh, for them, this is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and uh, you know I want to want to go up to it. It's a, it's a really good point because I think that that flexibility is important. Um, but you also you you also want to have you know want to be able to simulate a few things. This is uh, this is a quote from um, for Brian Harson when he did the in house uh, talking Tigers podcast uh, last week. You know, talking about spring practice and kind of the setup. This is from Nathan King, actually, uh, on 247, who tra- who listened to it and transcribed it and wrote a story about it. He said, uh, Auburn will hit the field this spring on Mondays, Wednesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Harson says he likes a day in between Tuesdays and Thursdays to, quote, watch the film and process what happened, end quote, on the previous day of pr- practice, as well as, quote, recover and refresh. Uh, then the team will go from Friday in- straight in- uh, into, uh, let's try that again. Then the team will go straight from Friday into a Saturday practice, which Harson said gives a, quote, in-season feel to the spring schedule and gets players prepared on what working back-to-back days in the grind of the fall season feels like. So really interesting um, kind of setup there. They're going to do two weeks of practice, and they're going to take a week off, which would usually be spring break. Uh, Auburn's not having a spring break this year. The university-wise is not having a spring break this year because of, because of COVID. They don't want a bunch of people going out and coming back in. Um, but they're going to take, uh, take wellness days instead at the university. Um, and, uh, Harson's going to kind of implement some of those in his, um, in his practice schedule and then they'll come back. But then I think also, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to talk about it too much, but I think when you see, uh, what happened to like Duke in Virginia, um, in the ACC tournament this past, uh, past weekend, you also get that flexibility that, you know, that week in the middle being off. You know, if something happens and there's like a positive test or something like that, you could also kind of kick back and reshuffle uh, from there. So I think that's something else that you have to keep in mind um, if you do have to, you know, put a stop on it. Because I believe Ohio State's already had to do that with their spring practices in football. Um, but yeah, it's that flexibility. They're going Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, where you get, you know, a balance of having that time off in between uh, those days to, to, you know, to recover, to, to review film and stuff like that. But then also you get those back-to-back days towards the end uh, that Harson wants to do so you can go ahead and get ready. Like, hey, you're not always going to have an off day in between. When we get into fall, you know, fall ball, you're going to be playing and be practicing on, you know, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. And, like, you have to, you have to be prepared for that. So uh, it's an interesting schedule uh, for sure. And then they're going to have some scrimmages, uh, you know, c- you know, cut into that as well. No, I don't have anything else to add. You've covered this a lot longer than I have, so I wondered if you thought that that was 
I mean, there's going to be upsides and downsides to how you structure it either way. But also, you guys seem to be talking to the assistant coaches more than we have had access in the past. Am I off base there, or am I, am I barking up the right tree? The second week of spring practice will be the first time we'll have to talk to Mike Bobo and Derek Mason, which is going to be an interesting time for sure. Uh, you know, there's a lot of questions to ask, especially since these are two of the guys are going to be you know, real hands-on and instrumental on how much Auburn looks differently on offense and defense this season, especially with Mason's defensive background. So that'll be an interesting time. Um, and then and then a big one on Thursday, March uh, 25th, um, Auburn practices at Jordan-Hare, and uh, they're letting the media view it for a little bit, um, which is surprising. Uh, I, I, w- I did not expect any sort of media availability in terms of, like, a viewing window uh, this spring, I just was not prepared for it. I know some other schools have done. It. I believe Clemson um, opens up their and they're they're pretty wide open on their practices anyway. Uh, but even with COVID, they're doing that. So, um, you know the the first the first two weeks, there's quite a few uh, media opportunities, um, and so we will uh, we will can we will have a lot of uh, a lot of info and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, interviews over these next couple of weeks, which means we're going to have a lot of stuff to, to talk about on here and, and put out in the newsletter. Um, but I'm very curious to see what the, the, the assistant coach situation is going to look like moving forward. I know Brian Harson at uh, Boise State did a really good job of, um, and you know, that's me editorializing, of, of making his assistants available. I believe his coordinator spoke once a week. Um, whether that carries over to Auburn, I don't know. I'm not super hopeful. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> you know, the coordinators, especially, you know, you got into the situation from time to time under Gus Malzahn and like not talking to Kevin Steele, but twice a year at most when that started becoming a thing, um, I think was kind of at a detriment, you know, I don't, you're not going to hear me say as a detriment to the media members. Cause like, I mean, you know, who cares about us? Like we, we just, you know, a lot of times we're complaining about a, a a job that isn't really a job, um, you know, in the, in and the I sense think you've of said a lot in of the things. past, like is though it could help with the coverage. Ultimately we're not talking anything that like life or death is at stake. So we're not owed anything. And I say we yeah. lightly, cause I'm not really with that grouping of you guys, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, I think the point stands while it can be frustrating for you guys at times and probably makes the job a little harder. Usually I hear you say, well, I mean, you know, what are we going to do? Like, they don't owe it to us. Right. There's no rules. Set. I mean, it's not the NFL. You know, this is not a collectively bargained thing where it says, all right, you have to do this and this and this. Uh, and when you sign your contract, you know that this is going to happen. You know, there's no rule in, in place that says, hey, you have to have this kind of availability for your local media. Now, once you get into bowl games, championship games, stuff like that, yes, there are rules at that level, but there's no you know blanket rule in college football or college basketball. So, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of how the coach feels yeah. most of the time. Well, um, and, and, you know, like Gus um, was a, what I would perceive to be a very paranoid person in that regard, but so are a lot of college coaches. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess your friend, Grace Rayner, who covers Clemson, is kind of in this weird space where Dabo seems to be a bit more open. Is that is that correct? Yeah, he's more open with access, but he's also abrasive towards the mm-hmm. media, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit more just because, you know, everybody's out to get Clemson at every given moment. Um, but, you know, 
going back to to Gus's thing, like there was a thing that would go on with, you know, whenever Kevin Steele only started talking, you know, two times a, uh, a year, uh, you know, because they once upon a time, you know, Auburn's assistants used to talk every week. Um, I remember uh, that happening quite a bit. Uh, you know, when Rhett Lashley was 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 the offense coordinator as well here. The the problem with that is is that you get to a point where, um, and especially with the way Auburn was set up, week by week there would be defensive questions and there would be defensive you know things to kind of learn about, and it was hard to ask those questions because Gus could not speak with the same level of authority and knowledge on what was happening with the defense than Kevin Steele did. You know, he was still the head coach, obviously. But a lot of it was very surface level um, in what you would ask about a defense player because that's not his area of expertise. You know, he was more hands-on with the offense throughout his career, but also that's his background. And defense, I mean, everybody knows defense was Kevin Steele's show to run. So it would be very interesting to see what that looks like moving forward under a new staff because, you know, I'm sure yeah, I mean, you can you can make an argument that Harson may take a similar line, and it's like well, Derek Mason's been a head coach and he's been a defensive coordinator, and so I'm not going to stick my hands in the cookie jar too much. I have no idea what he's going to do for that matter, but like I understand that Gus was not alone in basically saying I'm the head coach, but I'm going to turn over this side of the ball to this coordinator. I've hired them, I pay them a lot of money, let them do their job, and you know a lot of people. I think if you put yourself in in those shoes, if you think about your manager or supervisor at work. There is a certain freedom that comes with not being micromanaged and saying, right, all right, yeah. I'm trusted to do my job this way because I'm good at it. Let me. Yeah. And so I, and Brian Harson, I mean, if, if you ask Brian Harson questions about defense, I have no doubt he will be able to answer them, you know, well. And, and I think the thing with Malzahn is that it wasn't that he was, he was clueless on, on what was happening on that side of the ball. Far from it. It was just you did not give it the level of detail and the level of expertise and and again, that's not me complaining for the on behalf of the people who are writing about this because you know again, like we said, we are nothing but for fans. Like you want to know more, and you know these press conferences are kind of the the way to learn more and 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 you know the the direct. I think that's the thing. Sometimes it kind of gets lost, especially with some. Sports writers is that when you go into a press conference, um, you know you are working on your stories and all that, but like you, this is your you are a, a a connection between the coaching staff and the and the public. Like when they get behind that podium or when they get on that Zoom and they talk, they're not talking to you specifically as media members, um, even though they can from time to time. Like they're trying to get their message out to the fans. So what do the fans want to know? What do the fans want to hear? Um, that is kind of that relationship you have to get. And it's a little bit harder when you don't hear as much from other guys on staff especially the coordinators, because the coordinators are so significant in how you run your offense and how you run your defense, obviously, and, and just how this team comes to shape. Especially, I think, this year, defense, there is so much there is so much on the defensive side that's going to look interesting for Auburn in 2021 because they're changing things up. We don't, like, whether it'll be a 4-3 or a 3-4, because, you know, Mason has had experience with both. Um, even though he's probably done more three-man front in his career, they're changing up the way they do things on, you know, on defense. Um, it's a new system. It's a new scheme. And, and, and structurally, it'll look 
different than what we've been used to in the last few years for Auburn. So having somebody who is the architect of that, getting out there and talking about it, uh, you know, a little more often, I think is going to be a good thing. So I'm very, you know, very happy to see uh, Bobo and Mason both be on this list and, and get some player availabilities as well. I, I'll, I will have, uh, um, uh, you know, I think, I think I'll have a lot to, to try to dig into um, with this, with, with, with spring practice. And then, yeah, the, the viewing window, um, as surprising as it'll be, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know what is what it is, but I think, you know, once we get to a week from Thursday and we're out there injured and hair, of course, you know, distance and mask and all that, like you're, like you're supposed to, I think there's just going to be also a sense um, at least on my, on my end, there's going to be a sense of like, oh, wow, this is kind of starting to feel like normal again. Um, which is a, which is a really good, I think that's going to be a really good feeling. So whether it's all just watching people stretch and, you know, kick the ball and special teams work, uh, as it would be a decent bit under, under miles on when you got a viewing window. Um, I think I'm going to be pretty grateful for having that opportunity because I think that means just a sign that we are kind of getting back, back more to normal. Um, which I mean, if you continue to look at, you know, vaccine information and and, and cases going down and, and seeing things going across the country, um, you know, there's more there's a more and more of a push to have a what is going to feel like much more of a normal college football season this this upcoming season, and that's going to be that's going to be big. Um, I know Harson at the end of his uh, his podcast when he was talking about. Um, when he was talking about the eight he mentions game. crowd size at one point. Yeah. So this is back from Nathan uh, again. He said, uh, um, Auburn has yet to announce how the event will take place or what sort of COVID-19 restrictions will be in place for attendance. This is Harson saying, quote, we hope that Jordan Harris is at full capacity. We can get that experience with our fan base. We can have Tiger Walk. We can do all the things that make Auburn football so special. I feel like the excitement and the momentum really – uh, and that momentum really from our fans and our people that are supporting our program and are part of Auburn football – all that momentum makes a difference. It creates the culture. It creates the recruiting success. It creates the development of our team because we have momentum. We have that energy and excitement behind what we're doing. We can't do that alone. We need everybody to be a part of that. And so that's that's the thing that I'm I, I'm I'm curious about because we'll see what it looks like with 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 regulations. I wouldn't expect it to be you know full capacity. But you know, maybe a little bit more opened up than it was in in the fall when it came to Jordan Hare. Um, but you would have to think that this A Day game is going to be one that's going to have a ton of interest because it's a new coaching staff, it's a new, it's the new schemes and all that. Um, I wonder if I, I do wonder if they were able to kind of open it up and just say, hey, everybody who could come in could come in, you know say COVID's uh, not a thing or, you know, a, a very small thing at this point, which I think would be hard to do that quickly. But in a in a hypothetical world where there were no restrictions on who could come to, to Jordan-Hare, I do wonder how many fans would show up to the, to the game because I, I have a feeling it would be a lot. I'm with you in terms of both the general thing that happens when there's a new staff, there's just a lot of interest, and also – there are some big position groups that have these major question marks and a lot of fans didn't get to have a college football experience. And so while we bemoan a day and the glorified scrimmage that it is, there may be a bit more of an itch for it on multiple fronts this year. So 
We'll see. And another thing I'm curious about, not to drag us too far back into this conversation, but the media availability is always interesting to me because there are some interesting things that you can glean in just 15 or 20 minutes from what we tend to laugh at a little bit, which is like watching people stretch and warm up and, you know, some special team stuff. Of course, that's not super meaty stuff. I won't pretend like you're watching the offense scrimmage, but you guys do a decent job of like figuring out, all right, you know, these guys look a certain way. These guys have changed numbers. What are some of the things that you guys tend to look for in that small window you get? Who's playing where, if there's any position changes or, um, you know, roles, I think like if you get out into a pass skeleton, who's playing where at wide receiver, like who's in the slot, who's moving around, um, kind of what order they're in. I know sure. in de- on defense, you look a lot at like the alignment of the defensive line. Um, you know, who's playing nickel, who's playing safety, um, you know, which cornerback is where, that, that, that sort of thing. So that's a big one for me. You know, going out there just trying to trying to you know kind of check all that off, and and then what I like to do, you know, once you kind of get roll call for the most part, and and you know under Gus they would run, you know usually the lat, towards the end of our our windows, you know in spring and the fall would be, um, you know a pace drill where they would you know run a few plays no huddle and you would get a look at a first team and sec, you know first team and second team offense and defense so. Other than that, though, what I really kept an eye on a lot um, outside of just the normal personnel, here's the roll call kind of thing, is kind of just going to these position groups, you know, that are working and trying to find guys, you know, just listening to the coaches. What are they looking – what are they stressing? What are they talking about to these guys? What are they focusing in on? And then maybe trying to find some guys that are, you know, that are getting the praise, that are getting that are getting the love from their, from their coaches and, like – a lot of times in spring practice, you may hear, you, you know, you'll you'll be at a certain you know, position group, and you'll hear you'll be looking at the second team or the third team, and you'll hear a coach, you know, really really you know supporting and and, and talking up one guy and just saying like, hey, you know, uh, there was, I, I mean, I'll 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 never forget, Ryan Garner, famously really tough on his on his players. Um. You know the the fall camp a few years back when Truesdale was first coming in. I mean, he the first time, the first couple times we watched him, it looked like he was dragging. He was having a hard time. Looked like he was he looked like he was kind of out of shape for what Auburn wanted him to be. You know, towards the end though, you started hearing a little bit more about him, seeing him you know do some really good work in camp. So I mean, those kind of storylines kind of blossom from there. Now, what we get is a very small window usually of what an entire practice is. You only get a few sessions out there and there are, you know, more and more hours of what actually goes into spring practice. But I think, yeah, like personnel moving around who's, who's where, but also just trying to find the guys that are, um, you know, trying to make moves. And you can see that out there uh, sometimes, uh, especially with these second and third string guys uh, trying to make, trying to make moves up. And you kind of, you can kind of glean some of that from, from you know those individual position drills. What else do we have on that front? Anything related to spring ball? I know that we're, uh, you know, I, I, I was I, the one on the most recent or one of the most recent podcasts to sort of be the Debbie Downer of the group, and you pointed out, well, hey, there are these things that we don't know. There, there, there are these interesting tidbits we can pick up. It is 
a new staff. And for the things you just mentioned about A-Day, I think that is why I might be in the minority in this case, because while I'm sort of feeling more and more dwarfed by the success of Alabama and Georgia and just how far the gap seems to be getting between them and a handful of schools and everybody else, there are these pressing questions we're going to start getting some answers to, and thank God, because you know it does feel like we've turned over just about everything leading yeah. up to spring ball. Yeah. You know, there was a question in the mailbag this week about like how excited were you for for spring ball, and I was like, I, I I'm pretty excited because I think there's just going to be a lot to to learn because this is a new staff. We don't know what this staff. I mean, we know how we view the roster as it is right now and where guys fit and who they who they could be and 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 you know kind of where all that. But like what we think does not matter. What matters is what the, the new staff thinks and how they see these guys on the field and how they perform in their first opportunities under this new staff. So that, to me, is where this is going to be an exciting time. You're going to get – there's going to be a lot of stuff. You know, maybe it's not a ton of information coming out publicly in practices, you know, because, again, you are kind of limited in the interview times that you have and trying to work your way through, you know, people uh, that you know on the inside and trust, you know, trying to get information that way which I don't do a ton of compared to some other people on this beat that have been doing this for a long time. But again, it's, it's a new staff. It's all, there's a lot of newness around here. Um, and so even though I had this conversation last Thursday with, you know, Bill Cameron and, and Dan Peck over on the drive, who we um, love. Yes. Who we love. Um, and Dan was saying like, you know, this is a team that returns a, decent amount of key starters you know who your quarterback's going to be as of right now and i guess as of right now fits for everybody like you you return a two-year starter at quarterback you return arguably one of the best running backs in college football um your offensive line could all be the same and you probably expect some movement there um you return a couple of key players up front on on, on the defense you return most of your linebackers you have a couple of top corners coming back you have a key safety coming back so, like, in terms of that traditional position battle, who's going to win what other outside of really, like, wide receiver and some places on the defensive line, you know, there's not a ton of, um, like, who's going to be playing where kind of kind of stuff like that, you know, in terms of being wide open battles. Sure, I'm, I mean, like, I'm quarterback, sure, I'm sure. like, we, you know, you might get another package, but I think we'd all be shocked if it wasn't Bo. And, like, at running right. back, we know it's going to be Tank. And the linebacker group certainly seems to be set. So, And I'm sure they'll come in and say, hey, clean slate, everybody's, you know, we yes. have no preconceived yeah, notions. Yeah. And that's a new staff, right? But, you know, you would expect those guys to kind of separate themselves. Anyway, offensive line, I think, you know, do any of the guys who didn't start last year breakthrough if of the guys who did start last year who's ready to go ahead and kind of claim and, and and even then in spring practice you will get to the end of spring ball and you will see here's where this guy was lining up a day gives you a lot of information and then what happens after that dylan brooks comes in eku Leota comes in drayshon miller comes in um a, a wad of uh, freshmen come in um that 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 haven't arrived yet if auburn picks up any more transfers those guys are coming in as well so that's it's gonna look different by the time you hit fall anyway so dan was saying that and it's like you you know for a team that kind of has a lot of stuff a lot of key pieces coming back where is the intrigue where is the excitement for spring ball and i think it, i think it's going to come in the details i think it's going to come in 
what does this offense look like? You know, how does this offense fit for Bo Nix? How does Bo Nix try to fit to this offense, right? What does this mean for a guy like Tank Bigsby? What does this mean for the young receivers? Did the offensive line, is this a better fit for them? The defense, who steps up in the way things are changing up front? Who is going to be kind of, kind of, you know, jumping in to replace guys like Jamie and Sherwood and, uh, and Christian Tutt and, and Big Cat Brian and, and, and those guys. Who steps up in that play? So I think it's going to be in the details of what, what we get um, because we all can say, give defense, for example, we all can say Derek Mason's going to run this kind of defense. And we all can say that. But until we actually see it on the field or we hear of what it looks like in practices, it could be anything because Derek Mason is a multiple guy. He is not constraining himself into a box. He, he did run a lot of four man fronts at times at Vanderbilt. He had a year where it was like, Hey, we're going to be, you know, we're going to run a four, three, what that adjustment looks like. And what that transition looks like is going to be interesting. And this is where going back to another question we had in the mailbag last week, spring practice is so important. And it's so important. I think for Auburn to get through this thing healthy, no more, you know, positive COVID, not having to shut down or anything like that because of COVID or, you know, have a, have an outbreak of injuries or anything like that. But getting these 15 spring practices out of the way, you know, healthy is important because you are going back to the foundation. You know, spring ball is a place where you really get everything going um, in terms of, you know, what what you look like. The foundation is laid here. And that's even true when you return your, your, your you know, staff. You know, you're still putting in the foundation. You're still doing install. You're doing a lot of stuff. Like that. This is another Harson quote. Again, um, going off of what uh, Nathan King transcribed uh, over at, at Auburn Undercover. He said, "Quote: I think the 15 practices in the spring, spring are maybe the most valuable practices you can get an entire year. It sets the stage for your whole summer because in the summertime, that's where the greatest development comes for a particular player: strength, speed, football intelligence. All the things they're preparing to execute during the seasons happen in the summer. You fine tune it in fall camp, but where does it all originally come from? It comes from the spring. So it's like this is the foundation. You you build it up right here. This is what this is what we look like on offense. This is what we look like on defense. These are the type of plays we're going to run. This is the type of scheme we're going to run. This is the type of attitude we want. This is our goals. These are our philosophies. Here's how it all fits together. All right, you get that foundation, and then when you get in the summer, when the time is limited with the coaches, when it's a lot of working on yourself in the weight room and out on the practice field, doing things on your own, this is where you become a team. This is where you become a better football player. You become a better athlete during the summer. And then, like Hartson said, by the time you get into fall practice, it's about plugging in the new, the new pieces, tweaking things where you need to, need to tweak them, and then setting it up because by the end of fall practice, you're getting ready to play football. You are game planning for those first couple of weeks. So this is the foundation, you know, and you don't want to be hyperbolic uh, by, by any means here, but this spring practice in a sense is the foundation of what the Brian Harson era is going to look like for Auburn. Now it could, you know, Harson could coach at Auburn as long as Gus Malzahn did. He could coach even longer. Um, if he, if he does, it's going to be a great success. I think for Auburn, uh, you know, Auburn would love for, to be in that kind of spot because that would mean Brian Harson has, has done his job. But this is going to be the foundation. Like, here's who we are. Here's what we're going to like. This is what Auburn football is moving forward. And so, even though you might not get the sexy position battle resolution stuff right now, and there's not a ton of those to begin with at Auburn, you're setting the foundation of this is what we're going to look like moving forward. And so, 
I think that is going to be big as well. From a macro level down to a micro level, you are setting the tone for what this future, what your future is going to look like in spring ball. Well, well. I feel like I feel like we've covered that. I don't want to belabor it too yeah. much. I'm I'm ready for it to begin. Let's put it that way. I think like everybody, I think you could not state a more obvious fact painter. <laughs> uh, you know, and and we've and we've hit from a lot of different angles for preview in spring ball. Um, if you go back to our Thursday uh, podcast episode, um, or Wednesday, I should say, um, we talked about uh, players that we think we were gonna, are going to break out. Uh, we drafted a, f- a five on each side uh, for you know, potential breakout players in spring practice. We've talked a lot about the different position groups. We ran it down uh, group by group on some of the premium podcasts. Like I said, we have the depth chart. Uh, we're going to unlock it for everybody, but this is going to be a really good time. For those of you who don't subscribe, to go ahead and subscribe to the Auburn Observer because we're going to have a lot of information coming out in spring practices and painter. Um, you can also tell the folks at home how they continue to support what we've got going on in the podcast. As many of you have done, we greatly appreciate it. Rate, review, subscribe. Of course, we'd love to have your hard-earned dollars, but if you're not in a position to do that right now, Rating, reviewing, subscribing, taking 20 to 30 seconds, throw us five stars, tell us what you think of the show. It helps us tremendously. Um, And hey, you know, if we think you're funny, we'll read it out. So thank you guys for your support. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, rate, review, subscribe. Thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, and and we we understand not everybody can or wants to pay right now. Um, And you know, may not ever. And just we'll work for it, baby. We'll work for it. But we'll also know that, you know, these, these free podcasts, um, a lot of people, uh, or a lot of you are tuning into, into those and telling your friends about that. There was somebody on Twitter and the name escapes me off the top of my head right now. So sorry to this person. I'm going to try to see if I can run it down. (laughs) Ah, yes. I want to shout out. I want to shout out Tyler Phillips on Twitter. Tyler Phillips told us, uh, you know, earlier in the week that he's, he's got a new job. So shout out to Tyler. He said, you know, once I get this new job rolling, I think I'm going to subscribe to the observer. So there's a lot of people like that out there. Um, you know, possibly you might be waiting on something. Got that stimulus check now, hopefully. Stimmy baby. You know, throw, throw, throw some bucks our way. You know, do, do what you need to do to take care of yourself first and foremost. But uh, <laughs> we appreciate no, no, you. I expect you to subscribe before you pay your rent. Yes. Uh, but yeah, like we said, six dollars a month or six dollars a year can get you access to all that, and you can run through a lot of the stuff we've talked about previewing spring practice and the depth chart. We will unlock those here on Sunday. All right, let's switch gears here. Um, for the second half of this podcast, we are going to talk about Auburn basketball because there are quite a few things to kind of hit on here. If you listen to our, our Wednesday podcast last week, uh, we while we were recording and while we were talking about spring football. Uh, the news broke of Justin Powell transferring from uh, from Auburn, and then the news kind of breaking from that, and we were kind of scrambling. And you know, I bet it was, it was not the greatest you know final 10, 15 minutes of audio you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> um, but now we've you know we're a few days removed from that. Um, we've got a little bit more. We've got a little bit more behind us. Um, I guess. There's a lot of questions and a lot of like what's what's happening next here for Justin Powell and, and for Auburn basketball. But let's lay out some things real quick. Number one, this gives Auburn a scholarship. They got some flexibility. They've got a scholarship that they can use here for this for this next season. Because Auburn, you get 13 scholarships in college basketball. 
Uh, Auburn had 12 last season at the start of the year, right? They lost one of those guys uh, in Turbo Jones transferring to South Alabama during the middle of the season. They signed two in Dylan, uh, not Dylan Garwell, Jabari Smith and uh, and Trey Alexander. Both guys falling short of their state championship games, but both put up pretty good efforts this weekend, um, you know, statistically especially. So we will see how those guys yeah, do moving forward at Auburn. So that was 13, but now Powell's gone, so that brings you back down to 12. So Auburn's got some flexibility here. We do know that several guys are going to enter the NBA draft. And as we've said, once you enter the NBA draft, it does not mean you are gone forever. Um, What that means is you can enter, you can hear from teams. um, If you do everything right uh, with all the the legality stuff like that, you can hear from teams. You can get feedback. Hey, this is where we view it. Hey, this is where we think uh, you would end up being if you stayed in the draft. And then you can make a decision whether you want to stay in the draft or you want to pull out of the draft and go back to college for another year. A lot of people expect Auburn, several Auburn guys to do that, and most of them to stay, I think, is going to be the thing, unless you hear the magic words from somebody. Jared Harper, I think, a few years ago was a good example. You know, a lot of people thought, okay, Harper will come back for another year because he's not going to be a first-round pick. I mean, he might not even be a second-round pick. But he went out and stayed out anyway because – you know, he kind of felt like he had hit his peak of where he was as a as a player and, um, you know, as a prospect at that point. So you got that in mind, but the big one's going to be Sharif Cooper. Again, I think it's 50-50 whether Cooper comes back or goes pro. Um, I think anybody leaning too hard one way or another um, – I think is, is, is projecting projecting. You really can't. I mean, I'm curious to know in his heart of hearts, if he yet knows, right. Painter, you've, you've come on, you've come down on the side that he is coming back. Yeah. I mean, it's totally just because I want it to happen. Right. Like there's no real evidence of this. As you just said, I think you can come up with a number of reasons to think he would go, uh, because he's being mocked somewhere around a lottery pick Mm -hmm. is a great place to start because that's a lot of money to turn down is another good place. Because I think you can look at the injury in one of two ways. He already missed a bunch of games. He's an undersized guy, and he's injured. So you can look at that in a few ways and go, well, maybe he wants a full season of tape for scouts to get. But again, that's why you've got the combine. The other thing could be, well, the injury may have thought, man, it might have just been like a rolled or sprained ankle this time. But what if it's an ACL next time? And so then you get into the headspace of like, go get your money now. Right. So that's all to say, please come back, Sharif. Please become a top five pick. And, you know, the thing you pointed out, too, is right now we don't think next year's draft class will be as deep, which is a, point a decent guard. enough yeah. argument for coming back. Yeah. Not at point guard. I don't think you can expect it to be quite as deep. You know, at point guard right now, Kate Cunningham and, and Jalen Suggs are kind of the ones running the show. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a, uh, I'm going to look this up here real quick. I'm sure there's a European player that I'm forgetting about because I always forget about European players until, like, we get right before the draft. Um, if there is a point guard that that also kind of makes sense, uh, not really. Um, depends on how you feel about uh, uh, the move from uh, from from Illinois and kind of where his future is in the NBA. Um, so, yeah, all right, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, you're not going to catch those two guys, and there's a good chance for Shreve Cooper to come back. I was put on the spot last week by a couple people saying like, all right, what would if you had to predict where right now what happens? Does he come back or not? What do you say? My projection, I say, I will still say, I think it's very close to 50-50. My projection is I think he's going to end up coming back. I don't think his stock is quite as high as it was, you know, when he was balling out 
at the beginning of his of his season. I think all those reasons you just laid out, Painter, are good ones. Um, and I think he I think he ultimately comes back. I I would not be surprised at all. And if I'm wrong and and he he goes pro, it's gonna be like, well, yeah, obviously he was gonna be a first round pick. Um, but I just I'm on him, man. Like I, I think there's a lot of things lining up right now for him to be Auburn starting point guard next season again. This brings it into the Justin Powell situation. So Powell transfers. Um, in the in the last few days, what I've heard about this transfer, uh, number one, Auburn was not expecting it. They did not right, think this right. was going to happen. Um, I don't know. It'll be very. I'll be very curious if Bruce, uh, Bruce Bruce did not have any sort of statement or anything. I reached out and tried to you know see if there was any anything you know once that news came out. Um, and you know they didn't make any statement or anything like that. I'll be very curious next time Bruce talks what he says about this yeah. because when Davion Mitchell left, it was very much he was very open. It was like we were surprised. We were kind of heartbroken. We thought Davion, um, you know, we thought Davion was 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 going to stay, and we we had big plans for him. You know, he's just I think at that point in time, Davion Mitchell wasn't going to get the playing time he wanted, so he went somewhere else, and he goes to Baylor. And, he's and can one you of, hardly blame him with the he's way He's one of the best out. players in the country right now. Um, so I wonder what he's going to feel like with Just Powell. I think I also think that's going to depend on where he goes, right? Like, let's be honest. I think we're talking about Justin Powell and, 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 and everything from the Auburn perspective a lot differently if he ends up playing basketball for the University of Kentucky, yeah. um, which they're going to be contending for him. There are... You know, I don't think there is a D1 team in America that won't, that wouldn't want Justin Powell, right? Like, just because of what he can be. What a, they a, need and what he can do best. Right. You know, you guys who are that efficient as shooters. They were know. trash at shooting threes this year. Yeah, and Kentucky makes a lot of sense. Louisville also that great at shooting the ball this season. That would be another fit for them. I have been told by a couple of people that I trust that they expect – Powell to go closer to home. Now, what his reasoning is for going and leaving Auburn right now, I don't think anybody knows 100% for sure. Um, and again, we probably won't know until Powell says something about it after he picks his team or, you know, whatever down the line. Expect him to be closer to home. Now, I say that and he might end up at USC tomorrow or something like that. Um, you know, Justin Powell strikes me as a Gonzaga player. Uh, you know, he would just he would just fit right into what they've got going on over there. Uh, some people were talking about, and again, it's just like, ha ha. You know, he's 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 the white scholarship basketball player. But it was like uh, Duke. <laughs> like like yeah. he just looks like yeah. he should play at Duke. Yeah. And then my favorite one was uh, was like, you can't tell me you you can't see that guy wearing those Indiana you know pen, the, those candy stripe warm up pants. Uh, <laughs> Indiana really needs some help as well. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I think there's a lot of uh, I think there's going to be a lot of interest elsewhere, and I think where he ends up is going to be big. But I have to I tell mean, you, if Ferg, it's Kentucky, when the news bro- if it's Kentucky, eh, right, it's going to be an right. inter- it's well, going to be an interesting little time around here. So when that news broke, that was my first thought, and of course we were still recording, and, and the reports had not come out yet that there was real interest from Kentucky and Louisville, and so that was just total speculation on my part. But like I was running through my head guy who loves playing basketball has had a really hard year was probably lonely you know away from his family didn't get to interact with his friends didn't get to do, do the thing he likes which is to play basketball right and so on that front I certainly understand where he's coming from um, you pointed out that he 
had transferred a few times in high school. Yeah, that was the so, other thing I had been uh, I had been reminded of um, these last couple of days that he has matched around schools in the past, and that doesn't. I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting anything sinister. About there's not that. necessarily a correlation to what's happening no. there and here, right? Like, but it's like situations. But it's like he, him popping up and going to another school at a drop of a hat is not a surprise. Like he, right. he has done, he has done that before. And again, like I said, I'm not suggesting anything sinister and I'm not suggesting anything that he's bad because of that. I mean, guys bounce around basketball all the time. Look at how many, look at how many dudes that who play basketball at Auburn went to multiple high schools, right? Look at a guy like JT Thor. Look at like, look at a guy like Dylan Carwell. Like there are guys who bounce around and do a lot of things. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's, you know, that's a knock on Powell by any means. I'm just saying like that also kind of feeds into like, okay, well, you know, he has experience kind of making these adjustments pretty quickly. But I think the reason why I can understand Auburn fans' particular frustration is a fewfold. Like, on the one hand, Kentucky largely ignored him during yeah. his recruitment because he had some injuries. And, you know, what was he, a high three-star recruit? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was, because of the injuries, probably it might have held him back in those services. But I don't know how all that works. You could probably tell me more about that. So, you know, I, I get why Auburn fans might feel a little burned. One of the sentiments I've seen online is that Bruce took a chance on him. And I don't know how you feel about that, but I certainly understand the Auburn fans' perspective. And then the other obvious part is, like, it's really easy to dislike Kentucky because they are a blue blood and Auburn for the first time really in its program history is as close as it's ever been to being on a level playing field with them. Yeah. And so the idea that he could go there like you said, at the drop of a hat and help a team that generally doesn't need any help is particularly frustrating when you consider that they just sort of said, nah, we're good. And then, you know, in the limited time we saw him mostly in non-conference play, he was an excellent player playing out of position. Um, And you have also pointed out that conference play was not as good to him, but there's some nuance, I think. It was early. It was only a couple of games. Yeah. So I understand the Auburn fan sentiment, and normally I'm like, hey, and I think this still applies, like regardless of, of it's his decision, it's his life, let him live it. Mm-hmm. But I understand more so than normal why there's this sense of frustration and even resentment among Auburn fans. But a reminder that it's his life and he's not a pawn in your game. Right. I, yeah, that's a, that's an important thing to, to note for sure. Um, so you know, where does Auburn go from here? They have a scholarship to play around with. Everyone's looking at Sharif Cooper. If Sharif Cooper comes back to Auburn next season, it's huge, right? They're not going to lack for options at point guard if he does not come back. And I think even if, and this is me speculating here some, now I wrote about this when people were talking about it in the mailbag, even if Sharif Cooper comes back, I still think you need to find somebody who can run point guard. Now, Jamal Johnson proved himself to be very capable of doing that towards the end of this season, and that might be his role moving forward, right? If you can get a can't-miss player, scorer, two-guard, whatever you want to do, to put with Cooper, maybe you do that. But also, I think you just want to have somebody who can fill in, even if you bring Cooper back. Now, if Cooper goes, now you have two scholarship spots to play with, and one of them absolutely will be a guy you can trust to be your starting point guard at that point. There's a couple of names to, that have, Auburn, Auburn has already been linked with, a few of them. I wanted to talk about them real quick. These are guys who have reported, Auburn has reportedly contacted. The first one, 
let us go to the College of Charleston. They have a young man by the name of Zepp Jasper, which I think is just a wonderful name. Um, <laughs> Zepp Jasper, um, you know, this season for College of Charleston did not have a great year. Um, you know, the team didn't. Um, but, you know, he he this season was a second team all-CAA player. That's uh, the Colonial Athletic Association. He was an all-CAA uh, second team player. He was an all-defensive team player in, in the CAA. He is from Augusta, Georgia, a place where Auburn has recruited in the past, obviously, in, in multiple sports. Uh, he was a leading scorer. He had uh, he had 15.6 points a game. Um, he posted uh, double figures in 16 of his games, including four different 20-point outings. So this is a dude who can get some buckets and is a good defender, good backcourt defender. He is, uh, he is 6'1". Um, he's got a pretty good assist rate. Uh, but defense is the big thing for him. He is known for his defense, uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, on ball defense is, is his, is his bread and butter. He has been called one of the best defenders in mid-major basketball. You can see Auburn is going, that's the kind of archetype they, they want with him. Now is a second team, all CAA player going to become a 30, 35 minute a night guy at the sec level? Probably not. But we'll see. He's going. He's going to take a step up in competition. There's a lot of schools that have, that have talked about him, or who have contacted him for a while. So this is a guy to keep in mind. Um, it'd be very curious to see how he would play, especially someone who can score at that level, who can defend at that level, and then you put you know future NBA guys around him. How he could turn it loose. Also, just want to point out again, the dude's name is Zepp Jasper. Is that not the perfect? Is that not the perfect Auburn basketball name? I ask you. It does fit very well for both the uh, culture here. And, uh, you know, I'd, I also think uh, I'd like you to get into the notion, for because I've seen some Auburn fans at least raising the point, could in some way Sharif Cooper's decision about going into the NBA, if he opts to do that, hurt Auburn in its recruiting? I think you had a good answer for this, or, or in its search of someone to replace him, because – the argument I've seen is, well, you end up waiting yeah, and these players decide, you know what, I can't wait on you guys to make this decision. I need some sort of commitment, which is a logical way of thinking about it. I'm just not sure that's actually the case. Yeah, I think I think the, th- the same thing is, is that like guys are going to make decisions knowing that there are decisions coming to, for, at other places. Like if Auburn got a guy like Zepp Jasper, I'm sure they could plug him in into this team next season with Sharif Cooper. By the way, uh, Zepp... Uh, uh, Zepp Jasper Painter. His nickname is the Honey Badger because of how good he is on defense. So again, that's another that's another one you would want to want to keep in mind. Interesting that he has a nickname, given that his name is already pretty awesome. Yeah, his his uh, his given name according to the uh, College of Charleston's website is Zephaniah Deshaun Jasper. So he goes by Zepp, which is I think pretty awesome. It's one of those things that no one knows what the timeline looks like because the NBA is still not said. Hey, here's when we're drafting. Here's when all these deadlines are going to be because they you know, the, the season got pushed back a little bit later than normal, obviously. And it's like, I think playoffs are starting a week or two later than a normal season. would. Playoffs. Yeah. So I think that's probably going to affect it a little bit, but nobody really knows for sure. They're all kind of looking around waiting for the NBA to make their decisions on what's going to happen. If you look back at last season, you know, Isaac Okoro made his decision, hey, I'm staying in the draft. P- 
pretty earlier than, you know, a lot of these transfers made their decision. Like it was towards the beginning of the month. Cora says, Hey, I'm staying in the draft. Thanks Auburn. You know, I'm going to go be a top five pick. Um, and then meanwhile, uh, a lot of those transfers that all, you know, the big name transfers in college basketball, they ended up making their picks later in that month. Um, so we don't know what the timeline kind of looks like, uh, all of that, but I think the thing about it is, is like, I don't think Sharif Cooper is going to want to hurt Auburn, right? Like, uh, you know, there's these conversations are being had of like, all right, well, if you're going or if you're not, you know, they're not going to pressure him in a decision or one way or another, but they also know that they're going to have to recruit on top of that. But I think that everything's so up in the air. Everybody's kind of looking around saying, all right, when's everything going to happen? I think the transfer portal will, especially if these one-time waivers are supposed to be coming in later this year, like we, we think they are across college, college sports. I think there's going to be a flood once these, dates get a little more concrete um but we also know that some of these guys already say hey by the end of the month i want to know you know i want to already have my new school picked out so i think it's interesting that auburn and the guys they are going after right now that we've heard about are guys that you know could be key players for auburn making that step up but also makes sense that if 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 this is just about replacing justin powell on in, in the scholarship you know chart if this is about replacing, you know, getting a getting a dude who who can play point guard, who can give Auburn some things that, that that they want, that it could fit in even if Shreve Cooper comes back. Another player to keep in mind uh, that that Auburn has been linked to uh, is Jace Townsend. Now, Jace Townsend played at Denver uh, this season. Uh, Denver was very bad. Uh, Denver as a team last uh, this season was two and nineteen. They only beat uh, non D one school Regis, um, RIP to Regis Philbin, and uh, beat North Dakota in overtime. That's it. They were two and nineteen. Um, but he is a highly rated guy coming out of uh, coming out of Denver. Was one of uh, one of the better players in you know at his level uh, in the country. Um, highly you know high high usage player uh was uh 65 uh, 65th in the country in amount of in usage rate uh 22nd in the country and the amount of teams team shots he put up um he got to the free throw line a ton uh he was an 88 percent free throw shooter low turnover rate um second on the team in assist rate at 17.3 he is 6-3 this is a little bit more of a wing type of player uh than what you know than, than a guy like jasper could be but a guy who has the ability to kind of move back and forth, I am I am curious to see if Townsend is somebody that uh, that that Auburn you know really really pushes for here over the next you know you know few weeks. He's got a lot of people who are who are very interested in him, and apparently Auburn has already contacted him. Um, this dude averaged over twenty points a game uh, this season. He is one. Of, he is one of the most usage heavy players in mid-major basketball so this is a guy who has got a lot of experience getting his own shot getting buckets um like i said gets to the free throw line a good bit and is one of the best free throw shooters in the country he just played on a really bad team this season it all it didn't work out but this is a guy as we've talked about when you're looking about transfer potential you know targets for auburn these mid-major guys that want to look up and say hey i want to go somewhere else because I think I could be playing pro basketball or I want to, you know, in the case of some of these guys, 
you know, play on a better team, a more successful team, have a chance to compete for championships at a higher level, get more eyeballs on me, um, and know that, you know, I might not be, you know, and I, I, he definitely wouldn't be shooting as much at Auburn than he would at Denver. Um, but just I'll take that step up in competition and see how it works. And I think that's, you know, that's a little bit more of a of a common path for transfers, impact transfers in D1 basketball. Because if a guy leaves a good school to go somewhere else, you know, usually he's not, he didn't have a good time at, at his previous school. Like, I, I'll give you an example. Um, Kentucky on Saturday. Uh, there's an announcement that came out that Kentucky, um, uh, what is this kid's, the kid's name? Cameron Fletcher. Cameron Fletcher was top 70 recruit, I think, coming out of high school. Um, barely played, only started one game last year for, for Kentucky. Only played nine games. Big name recruit is going to have a lot of interest because he was a big name recruit, but he barely played at Kentucky and now he's going somewhere else. Um, there's usually not a lot of those guys out there where you were a really good player at a really good school um, and now you want to go somewhere else on top of that. That, that doesn't happen quite as much as you get a lot of these guys that are just we're really good basketball players at lower levels we want just a chance to step up and get and get bigger um a, a bigger stage and so guys like zep jasper and jace townsend both fit that bill by the way speaking of those kind of transfers um one of those transfers was of course mac mcclung who went from georgetown to, to texas tech um this this offseason Auburn was involved with him um just this is a random shout out uh, Georgetown won the Big East, and I, I, I don't think it. Patrick Ewing is going to the NCAA tournament, Painter. I was shocked by this. I mean, he's gotten some criticism, you oh, know, yeah. nationally, just because it's like, all right, like we know you were a famous player a long time ago, right. and there's a certain demographic I think that has a real like soft spot for him if you're over a certain age, right? But for us, I just think of Patrick Ewing as someone whose highlights I watched and associate with Michael Jordan and Space Jam, right? Um. But, yeah, you're right. Good for them for, for sealing the deal. And also, great game between Georgia Tech and Florida State. I just generally root against Florida State for obvious reasons anymore. And uh, Georgia Tech was, I think, like a six seed or whatever in that matchup. So uh, that was kind of refreshing to see. Did Who won the Oregon State-Colorado game? Because Oregon State was trying to punch their way into the tournament as well. That was Oregon State. So Oregon State, Sweet. Oregon State's going to the tournament. Um, and our 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 hero um, Bill Walton was on that call, and <laughs> he was doing very normal Bill Walton things, which would be very irregular for everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll get back to the tournament here real quick before before we wrap up the show. But um, one more I want to want to point out um, is Ty Ty Washington. This oh is a, yeah, this, this is, is another an exciting opportunity. This is another guy that's out there. I wonder if Auburn's going to be able to go after him because I think the scenario is if Sharif Cooper leaves, Ty Ty Washington comes into play a little bit more because you're going to need a point guard. Washington um, is a Washington is a uh, a former Creighton uh, commitment. Now, if you do not know what has happened at Creighton over the last couple of weeks, I'm not yeah. going to get into it on the air, uh, but just look it up. He demi- he decommitted from Creighton. He is the number 30 player in the country. He's the number three point guard in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. He, uh, he is uh, uh, from Arizona. I believe 
and don't quote me on this, uh, he has played AAU with, I think, I think uh, it was, um, I think he played AAU with Devin Cambridge, or they, they've crossed paths. He's crossed paths with some Auburn players in the past. Auburn recruited him the first time around before he committed to Creighton. They're going to open it back up again. Pretty much everybody in the country is going to go after him. Be very curious to see if Auburn pushes after him again. I think if this one's like Zep Jasper and Jace Townsend and those kind of transfers. I feel like if Cooper comes back, you can still get those guys, and I think their roles will just adjust depending on you know what the roster looks like next year. I think those are guys you can take anyway. Washington would be a little bit different because I don't really see Washington coming to Auburn if Sharif Cooper comes back, right? Like that wouldn't that wouldn't make a ton of sense, especially knowing that Scooter Henderson. Is a lean people think to Auburn in the 2022 class, and that's another point guard who coming in. And like, yeah, you want to you want to you know rack up as much talent as possible. But from a guy like his perspective, does he want to go to school at a place where he might <laughs> you know he might have an immediate challenge coming up behind him or over him or whatever? So like, this is a guy who's like as close to a five star as you can get. Very curious to see if Auburn gets involved. Um, because, you know, places like Arizona and Texas Tech and UCLA and all these places are going to get back in. Auburn was in the mix for him before he committed to Creighton. Keep an eye on him. I'll be very, very curious to see if Auburn uh, starts pushing a little bit for that commitment. And I guess it all depends on what Sharif Cooper's doing. But we know right now Auburn has contacted Jasper and Townsend. And I think those are two guys that even if you bring Shreve Cooper back can can plug in and help, and help your team. Jasper would be a very interesting pick just because he's known so much for his defense and he can play that point guard spot, uh, and he can play the two two some as well. And I think he just looks like a really good fit for what Auburn Auburn wants to do. But you know, there's going to be a lot of competition for these guys. Auburn had that open scholarship last season, and they tried so hard to get a number of players uh, in college basketball. Um, there were so many guys that uh, Auburn was linked to that ended up going other places. So I mean, just because you don't get somebody or just because you're going after somebody doesn't mean you're automatically going to get them. Everybody knows that in recruiting. But I think transfers are even different because now it's just like, you know, in football, you get to a point where you recruit a kid out of high school and you get this in basketball a lot as well. But, you know, a lot of times when Auburn recruits a kid, it's like, all right, right now we're down to my final five or I'm down to my final three. I'm going to make a decision. Whereas a lot of times these transfers, it's like they have heard from 55 Division One schools and he's, <laughs> he's going to make his decision by the end of the month. Is that a good place to leave it? Couple things I want to hit on before we go, but yes, that is that is a good place to leave uh, the 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 conversation. I want to shout out a couple of people. I don't want this to go to go by the wayside because this is really really special for Auburn. Shout out to Joyce Camille or Camelli. Yes, um, I think it's Camille. She won the indoor five thousand meters national championship. So Auburn has a national champion again. She's the the women's indoor 5,000 meters. She ran it in 15 minutes, 48 seconds, 48.98 seconds, I should say. She was the SEC champion. She's an All-American. She's one of the best indoor track athletes in America this year. She is Auburn's first indoor national champion since 2010 and is the first ever to win a distance event at Auburn uh, as a national champion. Um, so shout-out to Joyce Camille. She has had a phenomenal season, um, a lot of awards, a lot of honors going away. Track's not a sport that gets a ton of attention. We know that. It's a, it's a very different type of type of sport, especially when you have the whole team versus individual things. Shout out to her because that, you know, Auburn has another national champion, and, uh, you know, to be the first to do something uh, is, a, is, is, really, is really, really cool. So I wanted to shout 
her out because uh, Auburn's got a champ again. And I think uh, I think a lot of fans, uh, even if they're not fully plugged into what's going on in the track and field world, just know that Auburn had one of the best, if not the best in the country, uh, track athletes this year. We love it. We love it, folks. And uh, also, uh, we talked about this. You know, we're recording this before Selection Sunday, so we'll have the, the, the kind of selection show, um, you know, later on. Uh, but I wanted to throw it to you, Painter, before, before we go. Is there a team or two that you are keeping your eye on and saying, hey, this is this is the this is the one that I'm that I'm uh, I, I'm picking with picking with maybe maybe it's an underdog you think you can make a run maybe it's a team you think can be a national title contender I got a couple in mind but I wanted to throw it to you first you have the floor if uh, you want to shout out any specific teams the team closest to home that's in the conference that I'm curious about is Arkansas I know that they got bumped by LSU in the tournament but because of the experience they have I do think that they're a good team. I absolutely can envision them going on a nice run in the tournament. I'm not in love with Arkansas by any means. I don't particularly care what happens to them, as a matter of fact. But uh, I think that they're in a good position to go on a run in the tournament based on how they're constructed. They played reasonably well down the stretch. Uh, Obviously, Alabama scares me a lot. I'm thinking about putting money on them to go to the Final Four because then it's like, okay, God, what are you going to do? Am I going to lose money on this, or are you going to make this team – you know, really go the distance and pain me. So, you know, um, as the guy who tends to try to talk about not focusing on Alabama a lot, I've done a mm-hmm. lot of that done this a lot basketball of that this season. season. Yeah. And and uh, it hurts. It, it stings. I'm I'm ready for them to just focus on football again. So I'm a I'm a Arkansas fan for this tournament. I think they're really really good, and I think them losing to LSU in the tournament is a good thing because it's very hard to win a national title or make a really big run. If you've won all these games in a row towards the end of the year, it does not, you know, that's the whole thing is like, you know, you need to get that loss to kind of reset yourself. I think people feel good about Baylor now that they, that they had that reset. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Arkansas don't fret. You're going to, you're going to get it. I wanted to, and I tweeted about this guy. Want to shout this out. If you're looking for an underdog, if you're looking for a Cinderella, if you're looking for a 16 seed possibly to, to, to you know, make life miserable for a one seed for a little while, or you want just, just want somebody to cheer for, Mount St. Mary's won the NEC the other night. Mount St. Mary's point guard uh, is a young man named Damian Chong Key. He is from, um, he is from Baltimore. This dude's story, he, he on the floor, he's amazing. He's one of the top players in the country in assist rate. Uh, he had an incredible second half to push his team to the NCAA tournament in the, in the championship game. Jamie and John Keeley, though, Google him, look at, look him up, and read his story. Um, grew up in Baltimore. Um, his mother uh, his mother was murdered when he was a kid. His dad was shot twice, including paralyzed at one point in two separate incidents. This dude has been through so much to get to this position and um you know just a guy that you know every interview you see about him and talk talk about him you tell a guy who's really just happy to be alive and happy to happy to be playing basketball at a high level they're probably going to be a 16 seed i'm telling you this i would not be surprised if this dude goes in indianapolis and just gives a one seed just he's going to be annoying for them to, to have to deal with the way he was playing offense and defense the other night so that's my cinderella underdog story pick Look this dude up. Read, read a lot about him because um, his story is cool. And you know, Mount St. Mary's, it's a cool, it's a cool team. 
I don't know why. I've always I've always thought Mount St. Mary's was 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 pretty cool. I am riding, of course, though, with my beloved Gonzaga Bulldogs. We're going all the way this year. I know everyone wants to everyone wants to say, oh well, they'll they'll fall apart like they always do, and they might. You know, it's going to be really hard. But it's a single elimination tournament. What do you mean fall apart? It's like like that that argument to me. I understand that they've not yet gotten over the hump, but I will never forget the year that Duke had Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, and R.J. Barrett, and they got knocked out of the Elite Eight by a good Michigan State team. Like, it's a single elimination tournament. Yeah. You don't have to you don't have to mess up very much for your entire season in which they have been undeniably dominant and extremely fun to watch. I know. You're like, oh, there it goes. That's the whole season. I hear your concerns about how they haven't been tested in a while, although BYU gave them, gave them a really good run. Yeah, in the, they had to come back in that one. Yeah. I hear your concerns about their, their, you know, are they going to be, you know, what happens when a really good team uh, fires back at them at some point in this their tournament? Their non-conference schedule was ridiculous. I hear all of these concerns. I hear you. I see you. But this is the best basketball team in America. We're going for it. Gonzaga all the way. <laughs> this is the year. This is the year. So, with that being said, I want to appreciate everybody for listening, everybody for tuning in. Painter, we thought going into this podcast, we did not know what we were going to talk about because all of the stuff that's going to happen is happening in the future with spring practice starting on Monday. But we got well over an hour out of this. So congrats to us. 